Hello and welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm James Carey. I'm Dave Cohen. And you join us for a special Answer Your Questions episode. We've been soliciting questions on yeah. Facebook and Twitter. And so we'll be getting to those and hopefully itching where you are scratching or scratching where you're itching. Yeah. I never quite know whether you scratch an itch or itch a scratch. Um, I think you scratch an itch. Okay. But uh, there's lots, lots and lots of questions. Really yes. interesting. Before we get into them, uh, I'm sort of pertinent points to bear in mind we are coming up to the BBC Writers Room uh, comedy window which means that you can send your scripts in to uh, the BBC. BBC. Hopefully our next episode we'll be talking to the Writers Room. Amanda and Simon from the Writers Room. We spoke to them two years ago, got lots of really interesting information. Since then, I think there's been quite a few changes, really. Yeah. I mean, the whole comedy drama thing has come has yeah. become much bigger. So we've got lots to talk about. So we will be talking to them in two weeks' time. Mm-hmm. Don't forget, as well, if you're interested in, if you've got a script that you, you really want to sort of push a little bit further, I'm doing a, a one-day one class, Friday the 13th of March. Look on my website, davecohen.org.uk, to find details of that, how to kind of really kind of make your idea writer's room proof so they'll go oh fantastic or yeah. whichever competition there's a lot of competitions yeah. coming up the road cliff one as well yeah um and sitcom mission as well. yeah. yeah i'm not sure the road cliff one dates have been given yet but okay. uh, it's usually around this time yeah. of year and the other news is that uh, at the end of april saturday the 25th of april i think at uh, london school of economics which is, uh, I can't remember the in exact Hoban, street. Yeah. It's off, yeah, just off Oldwich. Yeah, in central um, London. Central London. They are doing, the, the British Comedy Guide, who we did our script competition with, are running a conference, a comedy conference, mm. uh, comedy writers for that, for you, uh, which sounds brilliant. They've got um, Sandy Toxvig will be there giving a sort of opening address. Mm-hmm. And there uh, will be other big names, a big name that we uh, we can't, we can't say yet. We can't say. It is a big name. Not a long name, but a big name. Okay. Um, and um, But go to the website um, yeah. and go to the British Comedy Guide website and you will see uh, see who that is and how you can get a ticket. Yeah. And the early bird rate ends on the 29th of February. So, so you want to get your skates on. And Dave and I will be there we'll at be that there. conference. We'll be talking and yeah. podcasting. And, and some sort of meet-up yeah. will uh, take place, hopefully. Especially yeah. for our Patreon subscribers. So we have um, sort of deeper relationships with our Patreon subscribers who go over to our Patreon site and join. And there's a private Facebook group for that and loads of extra audio and early access to interviews we've done. So we've done a really brilliant interview with Anil Gupta and Richard Pinto, yep. um, which uh, coming are, soon, yes, which is coming soon to your ears, but you can get get ahead by listening to that via Patreon, and also an interview with John O'Farrell and Brenda Gilhooley at the Chortle Festival uh, Book Festival, and so that's up there too. Plus, loads of other extra audio that is never going to be uh, released, and also our sitcom Soup to Nuts. Yes, we're series, writing a sitcom, which we are slowly chugging our way through. Although we've had to press hold as we've been wading through lots of these um, uh, these scripts for the competition. And actually, that's the other thing that you get if you join us on Patreon. You'll get access to all of our episodes where we talk about people's scripts, and you can read the script and hear us. Usually, do a sort of a 10, 15 minute podcast where we pick up on specifics of stuff so um there's loads of extra audio hours and hours worth um for for those with hungry ears to know more about how to write situation comedy Mm. and also um we have patreon subscribers who've 
given us some questions to answer, but we are answering everybody's questions this time. Yep. So, Dave, where should we start? Well, we've got a lot to get through, but we'll uh, we'll try uh, as many as possible. I've got I'm going to put three questions um, together because they, uh, they they follow a similar similar yeah. theme. So, we've got first of all, we've got from uh, Robert Rivet uh, or Rivet. Mm. As uh, he says, he's a Patreon uh, subscriber. He is, yes. yes. And he says, "When do you know the time to drop an idea and start fresh?" And then there's a question from uh, Paul Skelton. It says, "I have a vague idea of something that might make a decent sitcom. What do I do next?" Yeah. And there's a few questions that, that he he mentions there. And then uh, Paul Carenza, friend of the show, mm-hmm. and um, he must uh, have been a guest at some point. He, back yes, in the, yes, I think you interviewed him. Yes, uh, yes a very funny mm. uh, comedian and comedy writer. He says, "Are there any types of sitcom that could no longer be made nowadays?" And then, how can we prove them wrong by finding a new spin on it, e.g., a workplace audience sitcom? Never they cry until dot yes. dot dot. So the reason I've put these three together is because the last blog that I wrote, which in fact is a, is a guest blog for the Bang to Write page, um, is about. Oh, you're such a tart, Dave. I have no uh, idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to any. Yes. I'll go anywhere. Yeah. Anyone, anyone who wants to, you yeah. know, find out more, will write uh, for food. Yeah, yeah. It is about. Uh, your ideas and it's about a thing we've talked about quite a lot recently mm. what is your idea how well have you tested it how far can you take it specifically for instance there are sort of five five things that you can do and i'm going in reverse order number five is give up <laughs> decide right. decide that you've done what you can and i think one of the things that we found with the 60 odd scripts that we read uh was that it felt like it was a it was a good idea but it hadn't it didn't necessarily move things forward from other similar ideas and you really need to sort of push an idea so if you are writing a family sitcom for instance you really need to have something that moves things on from uh, modern family and um, modern family has kind of nailed as much uh, about siblings and uh, husbands and wives and relationships and all all kind of manner of of, of family things so you need to have something that 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 can say uh, we can either say well that's mo- that's different from modern family or that's moved mm. moved it on that's that's I mean a modern family is what 12 years old now so mm. you know so something that's m- why now mm. uh, in, in modern family terms so so that's the kind of uh, you, you really do need to work hard at it and sometimes you'll find you've worked hard you've worked for two weeks on you thought a brilliant idea oh that was a great idea and after about two weeks you sort of think well I haven't had a lot of new thoughts about it but I still think it's a great idea so I'll write it anyway yeah Maybe it's not. Maybe maybe you should just say, okay, that's an idea. Uh, 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 that's an idea to drop. Mm. But by drop, that doesn't mean abandon forever. You know, there is yeah. always room. So to to answer Robert's question, when's the time to drop an idea? Really drop it if you've spent a lot of time thinking about it and you haven't you haven't got any further with it yeah uh it's not exciting you in yeah. the way that or, it's uh, ideally that you've pitched it and have found people not responsive yeah and that may be that you just go nope this is this is it i can see something that other people haven't in which case maybe you're not explaining it right but also i think people maybe cling on to ideas for a long time because they're they actually don't have very many and actually you really should be building up a whole bank of ideas you know 10 15 20 
different ideas for different sitcoms, different shows. They don't even have to be sitcoms. It could be comedy dramas. It could be a movie. In a way, you sort of think of the idea and then think, what is it? Um, is it a novel? Is it a TV series? Is it a kids show? Is it? Um, and what is a way into that show that I could maybe do now? Could I write some short stories based around it or bring it to life in some way? But I think you just need to see all these ideas as, you know, children in your family. And you don't need to say which is your favourite, even if you do have one, you must never tell anyone or you will scar them forever. But these things have their moment and they have their time and you give them your attention. And quite often you pitch three ideas in a meeting. You pitch two properly and then the one that they don't like either of them, you throw in the last one on the way out and they go, oh, that sounds good. Can I find out more about that? That's quite common. Yeah. So you do need lots of ideas and they all have their moment really, don't they? Yeah. So to answer Paul Skelton's question, I've got a vague idea of something. Uh, no shortage of material. What next? Um, and and he says, do you just start writing, sketch out an episode? Well, I, what I would say is what next is just keep pushing that idea. Keep testing it. What's, you know, you say you've got no shortage of material. Uh, well, w work it out. You might, you know, it, it doesn't all come out nice and clinically like oh well let's write an episode oh well here's this here's a character that would work really well for that and here's oh and here's a story that i just read in the newspaper that fits to that and so mm. you just kind of it's almost like you 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 pile i mean i used to have this thing with the, the, the shoe box you mm. know when i'm working on something invariably i get excited about the next project yeah. yeah i think we all do that and what i've learned to do is i uh, stick it in the shoe box so uh, when yeah. you finish the thing that you have to finish you've got this shoe box with yeah. 25 things in it of which three or four might might work and i yeah. think the same thing applies as Paul Carenza said, I specifically mentioned in, in the blog that I wrote was the, the workplace sitcom, which a, a producer said to me when I went to him with what I thought was quite a modern take on a workplace sitcom. He said, you know, the workplace sitcom is dead. To which I said, you know, yeah, long live the workplace sitcom. Yeah. But we couldn't make it work. My co-writer and I, we, 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 we got a long way with it, but, but we couldn't make it work. But I think maybe we should have worked harder on the research beforehand and, yeah. and just thought, well, how do you do a workplace sitcom? And we did get a lot of workplace sitcom ideas we got one where you for know, the bcg pro for, competition for, yeah yeah we did yeah and we got that you'd get well there was one that was you know it was a, was a perfectly good script but it had there was like an office of four or five people all kind of hanging out mm. not doing much which was 25 years ago yeah and and also even something like the office was a bit like that yeah but you kind of can't it's hard to imagine an office now of four or five people sitting around doing nothing. We just we we sort of know that you know that that sort of stuff has kind of gone gone by the wayside. Yeah, right? and I think, I think. Um, I mean, thirty years ago there used to be a lot of mainstream sitcoms on, and they were very open to where they could be set. And yeah. now it feels like every sitcom needs to fight a little bit harder for a reason to exist. And therefore, you you know, and you could say the workplace sitcom is dead. We go well, okay, Brooklyn Nine Nine's doing all right that's set in a police station it's a little bit cartoony police station it's sort of real sort of not and i think all the all these things all these rules are rules until they suddenly come across an idea that they like and then they'll break the rule 
Yeah, which um, leads nicely to the question from Dugard9 on Twitter, which is, what's your favourite rule to break? Mm. And uh, actually, I wrote back slightly tongue-in-cheek, the, the idea that there are no rules. Mm. That's my, is my response to that. But actually, it is, it is... Break the rule of there are no rules by obeying every rule. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a bit too much. But, yeah. But as you say, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is cartoonish. But the thing about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I think, is why that works is it it's got a very 80s feel to it and it, mm. it, it is uh, like a lot of the shows that were around then uh, Barney Miller uh, Hill Street Blues mm. it's got that feel so it's got it, it's, it's got a very familiar anchor I yeah. would say but it is modern Mm. And I think I suppose that's not really so much of a, a, a rule breaking thing, but um, yeah, you want to find something that's like something that's out there, but you bring a yeah. new thing too. Yeah, I suppose. exactly. So the other thing I said to Paul Skelter, by the way, about you know I've got an idea, what should I do? I, I did also suggest, well, slightly cheekily, but partly. I wrote a book for exactly to answer that question, yeah. which is, you know, so therefore by writing that sitcom, which you can get on uh, Amazon, it's an ebook, so you can get it for the Kindle app on Amazon. Or if you go to sitcomgeek.blogspot.com, there's a link to how you can buy it as a PDF. Or um, you can become a Patreon and listen to you yes, reading it. Yes, Patreon if you join member. us on Patreon, then there's an audio version of that book, mm. or at least the first two thirds of it, yeah. um, which you can listen, which is another benefit of joining yeah. us on Patreon. Yeah. Just to quickly answer the rule breaking, I, the specific rule that I always like breaking is the so-called rule of three, which is that uh, every joke or most jokes, uh, they, ha they have a list of things. And so you mm. have the first thing, which is the normal thing, the second thing that moves it on, and the third, which is the punchline. Mm. So I come, I sort of like to do a rule of four or a rule of two or something just to kind of mess about a bit with yeah. with the form yeah. and make people you know keep people on their toes really yeah. um at which point the script reader will say why isn't that why is that got four things yeah. isn't it supposed to be three so yes yeah, so that's my that's my rule yeah that i break fair enough how about you what's your rule you most like to break james um that's a good question um i normally find i regret breaking rules <laughs> Um, the moment I think I know better, I think I like to think that, you know, I don't need to respect the form because I know, you know, I've written plenty of scripts and I know what I'm doing. And actually, usually I've I've started too soon. I've started writing it and I've not actually really tested everything properly. And I sort of grind to a halt. I don't know. I mean, I kind of like the rules. I think the rules just kind of because it because in a way, if you if you just want to if you want to write anything, then you end up with a script that's probably an inc incoherent mess. And we've, we've read one or two of those. And they just, see if they just feel like a missed opportunity. Yeah. Especially if there's a good idea at the centre of it. Yeah. And there usually is. Mm. There's a good enough idea to make people want to write something. And then, and then it just sort of doesn't, uh, doesn't follow any of the rules. And you just think, well, this is... I can't do anything with this. I don't know where to start to advise yeah. them to... Um, so that's a bit depressing. Anyway, sorry, that, yep. got, a bit, that got a bit sad quite quickly, didn't it? <laughs> Shall I uh, pitch in a question? Yeah, briefly? yeah. Uh, so Mason on Twitter asked, advice on bringing closure to an episode and how much resolution is enough? And I wonder if that chimes in with another question about story arcs and that kind yeah. of stuff as well, doesn't yes. it? Yes, uh, there is a... That's, uh, and... and as we mentioned at the start, the you know comedy, comedy versus comedy drama, mm. um, and uh, Al Butter asks on on along those lines, mm. is having a series storyline ruining sitcom? Usually, sitcoms 
uh, base plots are resolved in an episode, but um, does having a series plot where the story have to inevitably affect the longevity. So yes, uh, yes, <laughs> yes is <laughs> well, the answer to that. I don't know whether that's. True. I mean, I think people now watch TV in different ways, and therefore I think people are fine with story arcs. I worry that make that does make an individual episode slightly unsatisfactory. But these days they're not trying to get you to watch one; they're trying to get you to watch three. The medium is the message, is, the, is very much the word of the day. But I think it is annoying when things are not resolved. I think you want to be, you know, be aware of the Chekhov's gun. If you've got a gun and nobody fires it, that's going to be annoying. Yeah. So in a sense, just don't annoy people by not resolving things. And I think you need to kind of really feel... You just, you just want a story to have a beginning and a middle and an end. And I've, as I've often said on this podcast, an, a sitcom ending should be both unexpected but also retrospectively inevitable. Yeah. And therefore, you might need to start at the ending or you need to just to make sure that unless you've got a proper ending for your story, you don't have a story. And it's been very rare. You know, we've recently just read 65 scripts. 68. 68 <laughs> scripts. Count them. How many of them had decent resolutions? Single digits. Yeah, and you know... And, and, Usually and, the story takes 10 minutes. To, yeah. the, the, the story doesn't start till page 10 and it's run out of steam by page 25. Yeah, I've just finished reading a novel by a very celebrated novelist, very good novelist, and, uh, you know, it's quite modern and it's quite funny and it's got some great characters and the story just doesn't hold together as a story it's yeah. very it's got some brilliant descriptions in it yeah and i think this is the thing we've discovered more than any really reading all those scripts is that even saying to you plotting is really hard and yeah. making scripts and stories work really hard it's, it's still it is incredibly hard and yeah. it's so rare so rare that when it does work yeah. it's just we go oh that one that works so well, well. He, here is my controversial theory of the day which i've just hit upon is the whodunit the new sitcom and the reason I say that um, in a clickbaity title sort of way is the fact that I've watched a lot of whodunits recently right. of, of various genres and types, you know, ranging from Endeavour and The Pale Horse to Father Brown um, and, you know, other stuff like that. And it's interesting how we really, really like murder mysteries because we want to know who done it. Yeah. You know, who done it? They done it. <laughs> How do they do it? They did it that way. Great. Roll the credits. Yeah. And so there is a satisfactory resolution that I think maybe people aren't getting in sitcoms, partly because there aren't that many sitcoms. Maybe they're not getting them in dramas because actually there aren't, you know, lots of comedy dramas in our serials and seri series arcs. And you've got a, like, um, the last tango in Halifax, you know, that tends to be, you know, those sorts of shows tend to be all arc. Yeah. Um, and actually, a murder mystery gives you a beginning and a middle and an end oh, in a satisfactory way. And yeah. I think maybe, therefore, and it was interesting, I watched The Pale Horse, which was a two-part Agatha Christie adaptation by Sarah Phelps, and I, I really, really enjoyed it for the first hour and a half. And then as they revealed who done it, I just thought, oh, that's good. And then as he explained how they'd done it, I thought, okay, oh, right, oh, hang on, how do they fit into this? Right. And then... Rufus Sewell's character kind of went back to the flat and then had some sort of dream or nightmare. Oh, was this whole thing a dream or was it... Oh, please which don't bit, tell me. You know what I mean? And, and so there was an ambiguity and I just yeah. thought, is it just me? Check Twitter. Twitter generally just basically said, 
what just happened? <laughs> um, you know, and lots of other people that sort you know, it's entirely, everyone knows what happened. And then I read one or two blogs about it where they just said, yeah, it's not entirely clear whether this happened or this happened. Right. And so I thought that probably was lacking a certain amount of resolution um, and it made people cross. So things don't have to be terribly neat, but I think un unexplained threads, I think, are, are poor. And I, I think you just need to give your story a lot longer than you think you do. Yeah, and you, you come back to story a lot, and I come back to character, and I tend to come back to modern family as well, because it, 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 the, the, the thing about family is, you know, you do make the same mistakes over and over, yeah. which is what sitcom is about. Um, you don't learn. You come back next week and make the same mistakes. The only difference is, and this is why it works in sitcom terms, is that you can, at the end of an episode, say, I'm really sorry. That was wrong. That was really bad. I will never do that again. Yeah. And next episode, you will come back and do exactly that yeah. again. And we'll believe it because... That's, that's how life that, works. That's how life works. That's how families are. That's how people are yeah. in relationships. I will never be late again. Yeah. I promise. Right. So okay. that allows you to push your story quite quite a long way. So, so coming back to these questions about you know bringing closure to an episode, you know resolution. You you, you can have as much resolution as yeah. how big your story is in the first place. Maybe murder is pushing it a bit far. I promise. I'm sorry, darling. Yeah, but, yeah. I'll never murder again. Yeah. Ooh, here we go. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. yeah, that might be. But but you know, I'll 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 never be rude to your mother-in-law again. Or what? Yeah. You know, I'll we'll never fall out again. That for me, I think is how is how you resolve that problem of people never learn from their mistakes. But you have to have a kind of. A, f a sense of the the, yeah. the the drama, what you have in drama, which is that a character has gone on a journey and has learned yeah, yeah. and has resolved to make the mistake. But we just know has resolved not to make the mistake. They'll come back and make that mistake. I hope that kind of covers those questions. Yeah. Uh, this is from I Am A Writer or Twitter. Mm -hmm. Good name. Uh, got two things. And the question, question one, character descriptions in sitcom. The BBC writer's room scripts are inconsistent, it says. Some have detail, some just a gender and age, some don't have anything. Help! So we'll deal with that question uh, first. Uh, we have talked about this a lot, haven't we? But my, what, what, I, I don't, there's obviously not a right and wrong if, if BBC writer's room is mm. inconsistent the chances are then they, there yeah. aren't rules but i like to see four or five or five or six words roughly how old the person is male female yeah uh, and then two or three words that tell us about this person yeah uh we've mentioned one in a recent podcast you know, sort of blunt blunt but well-meaning yeah mean, that that tells you a lot about a character yeah i mean i would say the brutal answer is, why, why do you need to do that? Should be obvious. Should be obvious from the character, from the first thing they say. What are they doing? When we first see them, what are they wearing? What are they carrying? How do they walk in? How do they say the first thing they say? What are their speech patterns? Should be obvious. So I would say, if you want to be a, if you want to be a totally class act as a writer, then it should be quite clear from, from page one. The first time we meet your character, oh, they're that kind of person. Or you establish them as one kind of person and then suddenly they do something when they're going, oh, I see, they're not just this, but they're also that. So I would say uh, I would try to avoid doing that if it's all possible. Mm. 
and you can put that on a treatment, I guess, and that's fine, but you don't submit treatments, you submit scripts. So I would say the big grown-up thing to do is to, to not have anything other than a physical description. Um, and we've noticed uh, in the scripts that we've read for the competition that sometimes people in action lines tell us stuff that we can't see and they tell us what a character has decided in their heads to do and they've given us no physical action to demonstrate that. And you go, cheating, yeah. that's not, you know what I mean? That's, so I think you need to show that you know how to write a script and put it all on the page without... Is that fair? Am I being brutal? Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, if, if you're opening the character, the first thing they say is hello or something you know and that can be that can be funny providing you know i mean if it says character is 16 going on 50 yeah that tells you something about if you see something if you see this yeah. sort of prig, something priggish but their first thing they're yeah. going to say if they're a 16 year old and they say something very 50 something yeah then you'll just go oh okay that's interesting yeah so you've surprised the reader so i think if you do that i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna be brutal here yeah if you do that you are robbing yourself of the capability of surprising yeah. the reader mm-hmm. and i think that's what you want to try and okay. do you want you want to show show talent okay that would be my yeah but i'm aware that you know that that's very much without the stabilizers mm. on Cle- clearly the way that we're discussing this means that it's a it's a yeah. grey area. Yeah. So there yeah. isn't there isn't a right answer. But I, but we what I don't yeah. want to do is give the impression that it's okay beyond the first time your yeah. character comes in to give people phys- action lines in a script which can't be seen or heard. Yeah. Because it's not that's not okay. And I'd certainly say as well we do get you know so he's forty three he's a graduate of uh, this university mm. and we know that he's had a terrible relationship you know anything more than half a dozen words is is too much. Yeah. I think. I've got a question here we can quickly answer. Yeah. Oh, have we moved? I was off just going to say because he he also had this question yeah. about writing slapstick which I don't think we've talked about before. How do you write visual jokes? Do you try and make it funny to read? For me, it is hard to do that on the page, but I think as much as possible, you want to just make it very, very easy to read and think as carefully about the action lines as you would about dialogue and don't have huge, long paragraphs of text. I would just break every action up into sort of simple beats so that you can read it really easily. That's a tall order to do that. And, and, a, and a script that has funny lines will always do better initially than a script with funny action, I, th- I think. Yeah. Um, because, but that shouldn't be the case. But give yourself the best chance, I would say, by just making it as simple to read as possible and inviting to read rather than, you know, a dense, dense block text. Um, that would be my thing. Yeah. I've got a, a question here on the Sitcom Geeks Facebook page. So um, even if you're not a member of Patreon, we do have a Facebook page that we put things up uh, to sometimes. And so we've got some questions on there. And from uh, Kazim asks, are cold opens a good idea? Uh, Dave, what is a cold open? It's almost like a sketch, really, isn't it? It's sort of a, a scene that isn't necessarily linked to the whole story, but uses the yeah. characters. Yeah. So, and we used to do them in, in uh, my family. We always had a cold open mm. scene. I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine always has it, doesn't it? Yeah. It's just, it's the bits that they couldn't turn into bigger stories, I think. That's possibly true. And also uh, they're eminently clippable and put on YouTube. Yeah. I would say they are a good idea because Brooklyn Nine-Nine do them. And they're usually very funny. Yeah. I would say in, in your 
pilot script, they are not a good idea because in the in the opening two pages, you want to be establishing yeah. your characters, who they are, what this show is, what this world is. And if you establish a funny sketch um, about a hat stand or a fire extinguisher, he says, looking at a hat stand or a fire <laughs> extinguisher, um, and then they're not mentioned for the rest of the episode, then you go, oh, oh, right. Oh, so that was a cold open, and the reader has already been taken out of it. So I would say in your initial first pilot script of whatever it is or your writing sample you want everything to line up you want one scene to lead to the next and you want to be crystal clear on that so a cold open is not your friend at that moment the only exception i would give to that is if you've got a cold open that really shows character and is unbelievably funny then there's probably something in it and it will make a make the reader belly laugh then great however the problem is we all think that what we've written is unbelievably funny and will make them belly laugh. And it's, so you might want to seek advice on that. Is that fair? I think that's fair. And, and to, to come back to the uh, BBC Writers' Room, they only read the first 10 pages, remember, to yep. begin with. So if, the first, if your first two pages of your first 10 pages are sort of at, at a tangent from mm. the main thing, then that's already 20% of what you're writing. And the first thing that they've seen is, bear in mind, you know, we talk like we've just come through a sort of military operation having read 68 scripts, you know. Yeah. I mean, they've got 3,000 scripts. And, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, there's more than two of them. But, yeah. you know, they've got people sitting there who turn up at 9 o'clock in the morning uh, to read scripts and go home at 5 o'clock, and they will read a lot of yeah. 10 pages. Yeah. And so if they get a two pages that's about this, oh, and then the net page three is, oh, hang on, hang on, what happens? How does that relate, yeah. And they, you know, if it's like the 17th script that they've read that day, they might just be yeah. not very kindly disposed yeah. to it. Yeah, so it's a high-wire act. And again, I guess it's the difference between having a show that's on TV and a show that you is trying to show what you can do. The mm. rules are slightly different. Quick question here, if I may, Dave, from uh, Tandy Houghton, who says, how do you make something new without watching everything in the world to make sure that (laughs) someone else hasn't already done something really similar? I would say, given that in America alone, there are nearly 500 scripted shows, and in the UK, there are probably another 100 or so, there is almost no chance that what you're doing has never been done before. The question is, answering those three basic questions that we ask all the time now, why this, why now, and why you? So... You might have a great show set on a submarine. There was a Radio 4 sitcom called uh, Deep Trouble uh, that had Ben Wilbond in it and uh, others. And so that means you can't have a sitcom set on a submarine. For for TV, they don't care what was on the radio 10 years ago. And then sometimes there's a show that comes along. At one point, the BBC had Bad Education with Jack Whitehall on BBC Three. And they had the David Walliams sitcom, Big School, on one and i think they had another one on bbc2 yeah that was school related mm. school is pretty universal yeah they didn't care the individual mm. channels didn't care what the other channels were doing it's right. a different audience yeah it, it is near impossible uh, yeah. but it, and it does come back to this point again as i say you know everybody has ideas everybody has yeah. good ideas and as james was saying sometimes you know you kind of hold on to your idea because that's all you've got. Yeah. And actually, it's a good exercise for you to say, oh, okay, well, let, let's, let me just try, yeah. think of something completely different now. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and going back to, again, I think Paul 
skeleton you know what do what, i've got a i've got an idea what shall i do well just research it think about your opinions as yeah. to the, the what's it what's it really about yeah so we read several scripts sets slightly in the future stroke on a spaceship yeah we had quite a few of those but the ones that worked worked well and they were it's like the person that had a point of view and it was that mm. writer's point of view that kind of made it well it Yes, it's a sitcom set in a on a spaceship, but actually, no, it's a sitcom yeah. about yeah something else relationships yeah. between the characters and mm. and and, and uh, it was a work. Well, in fact, the winning one was was effectively a, like a, a workplace, workplace sitcom. Sitcom, yeah, know. sort of a bit red dwarfy, so, yeah. cabin pressurey. There um, you go, Paul Carenza. There's a workplace sitcom for yes, you that worked. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. But it's not it's not on TV or radio yet. No, true. Um, and the last thing to say is uh, Tandy. For in terms of for British ideas go over to the British Comedy Guide and they mm. list everything that's on now yeah. and mm-hmm. has been commissioned and was on last year and the yeah. year before. So at least if you're pitching a comedy to a comedy commissioner, yeah. you can know everything that's been on. Uh, BCG, uh, no one has ever accused them of not being thorough. Boy, <laughs> they are thorough. Yeah. Um, I mean, we call ourselves sitcom geeks. I mean, we, we are not worthy to untie their sandals. Uh, so British Comedy Guide, comedy.co.uk... Uh, would be the place to go for that, yeah. and you can. So there's, there, in a way, there's no excuse to at least not know what British comedies have been on in the last five yeah. years. I mean, if you've got a student comedy, yeah. for example, I mean they're just going to say Fresh Meat, yeah. and that was a big show that ran for quite a long time, yeah. and I'm afraid you'll need zombies in it or something to get away from it. But then again, it can be done if you have Fresh Meat with zombies. Why not? You know. Yeah. Oh, I should. I should write that down. This stuff is gold. We're giving it away here, Dave. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The rotting meat. You yes, call indeed. It. Uh, and in fact, sort of related to that, Chris Dyson asked, "Do you ever write anything with an international audience in mind, i.e., steering clear of British colloquialisms?" Um, no. Just write. Just writing what you write. Really, it's like that thing where when people write characters and they are. Cockneys, and it is all written in Cockney in it, mm. and it's sort of you know you find you you just what reads mm. well you know, and it's like if you put thick Cockney accent or Scottish accent, yeah. you know, you you might change the odd word Disney or yeah. whatever, but you don't kind of beautifully phonetically write. Yeah, uh, you know, you read it back, and if it yeah. reads re- back readably to you, then that's that's fine. Yeah, we had a question about money. Ah, yes. Should we get to that? Yes, Chris Roach asks, how much money could you expect to earn for writing a pilot that gets screened? And then writing the rest of the series and it being televised. Uh, it sort of depressed me when I saw that question. However much I earned many years ago, it's probably now less. In real terms. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, the... BBC, uh, the, the Writers Guild of Great Britain has, if you go to their website, they've got all sorts of uh, rate sheets. What is the what is the minimum? What's the accepted rate? Depending on what level ex- of experience you're at, for instance, of a radio pilot, you can expect to get, get something between about two and a half thousand and six thousand pounds for a half hour radio script. Oh, that I sounds think. a lot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Six thousand is the team. most. I think four thousand yeah. is probably the. Oh no, that's not as much as that. Is it really for a half hour? Comedy? I think at a level. Okay. At a higher level. I wouldn't think is you'd start out at the bottom if you've got yeah. no track record. So you know you, yeah. you're looking at. And actually, if it's a non-broadcast pilot, you're probably going to get two thirds of that. Yeah. For the radio, so you're going to get fifteen hundred quid. But caveat, you don't be a writer for the money. Yeah. 
as I've said often, and I have, but not for a while, writers need money in order to keep writing. Hmm. That's, that should be the end game. Yeah. Um, if you're writing for the money, that virtually anything else you will do will probably be more profitable than writing. Yeah. Um, and there are one or two writers who are extremely wealthy as a result of their writing, but hmm. these are very much the exceptions, and yeah. the rest of us are just trying to make a living. Hmm. You do make about, I think, at the minimum rate now is six thousand pounds for uh, a TV uh, TV script, BBC script, and yeah. I think it's about seven thousand for ITV. Um, but again, you know, like you get less if for the script, and then if did they make a pilot? ITV don't make pilots anymore; they go straight from script to to televised, um, and then you get an extra amount on top when it's broadcast. So it, yeah. So you tend um, to get the fee. If it's broadcast, if it's shot and broadcast, you'll probably get the fee twice over. Yeah. The only thing that's debated is what is included in that second fee. And it might be a certain number of repeats up front. It might be, it might be worldwide territories thrown in. You might get some extra for iPlayer if it's a BBC show. But, the, you know, these are percentages off that main script yeah. fee. And obviously, if you end up... You know, if if your if your show gets scripted, and uh, if your show gets commissioned, and you end up writing a script and you get six grand mm. uh, for your script fee, and you write six of them, you're going to get thirty six grand to write six, and actually you'll get that twice over probably uh, because mm. they're filming it and broadcasting it. So there we go. Uh, yeah. Five years of earning nothing <laughs> is going to give you two years worth of the average wage. Um, and then if it gets a second series, you get to do it again. And then you need to keep hold of that money because it will take you another nine years to get a show on TV. Yeah. So in a way, I'm just highlighting the fact that it is a little bit feast or famine. So to some people, the script fees seem quite high hmm. from the outside. You think, oh, that's loads. And you go, mm, that's not loads. That's everything. Yeah. That's what you're trying to get. That's how, you're, that's how you are surviving. But it's also, if, uh, and, and this comes to another question from uh, Eleanor Haywood, who's one of our Patreon members, but she has asked a question about what's the future for the BBC. Um, and she's also asked sort of sub-questions about um, big budget comedy, for instance, Avenue 5. What does this mean for the comedy landscape? Mm. And um, it's a little bit like uh, if the, the, the housing market, in that if you want to... Uh, if you've got a million pounds uh, to spend, you know, you can buy kind of uh, a two-bedroom flat in Mayfair mm -hmm. or, you know... No. Or yes, the whole of Shropshire, yeah. maybe, you know. <laughs> the amounts of money, the kind of disparity between what you get for what you have. And the fact is that, you know, writing for the BBC, which is where most of us go, that's where the least money is, really. Um, to some extent. And I think, yeah. in a way, the big budgets are for drama and not comedy. Yeah. But if you look at somebody like Armando Iannucci, who spent the first 10 years of his life working pretty much for the BBC and probably getting BBC-style money for it, and now he's doing Avenue 5, which I think is HBO, mm. kind of shiny new world of streaming and... Well, HBO is not so much a new world, but relatively new world, like Netflix and someone like Jesse Armstrong, who started out writing... Uh, Sketches for mention on web, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, one-liners on The Big Breakfast and things is now, you know, showrunner for Succession. And 
I'm sure he's he's earning more in a kind of half an episode of Succession than he would have done oh, for yeah. a whole series of Peep Show. Yeah. Um, in fact, I remember Peep Show the, when the pilot for Peep Show was was made. That, an example of a, as as about as low a budget as it's possible yeah, to have absolutely. for something. So, but I would say as a writer, mm. I just think nothing really good comes of trying to second guess a the governance of the BBC and their structures, and b how much your idea costs. And I think the only, the only time you should think about the budget of a show is if it's a show that you personally are planning to make. So, I mean, I recently had an idea for a show which I think um, could actually be filmed. You know, we could film a pilot of it for virtually nothing. But I came up with the idea first and it's something that I'm very interested in and want to do more in that area. But then I've got another idea which would be sort of Game of Thrones kind of budget game but, of thrones set in yeovil yeah but you don't care <laughs> but you don't get when you pitch stuff you don't get any credit for it being cheap to make yeah that doesn't get you any traction at all no. these days people want ambition yeah but actually more than anything else they just want an idea they just want you as a writer to come to them with an idea that you're passionate about that feels like it's of the moment that you know how to execute and that you have the expertise uh, to do that so that is ultimately the answer to almost all of these questions isn't it yeah um, you know you need to have a bunch of ideas that you can be passionate about some will feel more of the moment than others and you want a sample script of of one of them to demonstrate that you can execute an idea once you've been once you're about to be paid a few grand and play the long game and you might end up like jesse armstrong brilliant again he's an outlier uh, you might make a living and survive in the industry for 25 years. That is a very uh, precious thing. And I don't, you know, I thank my, I don't thank my lack of stars. I thank my God um, that I can do that. Um, and also make podcasts as well, which is what I'd really enjoy doing. So I think it's, it's all about the idea and it's about executing the idea and, and showing that you are both a craftsman who knows what they're doing and are also not mad and easy to work with and all those sorts of things. Okay. Um, I think we've got time maybe just for one more subject. One more. Creeps in under the wire. Uh, which is because we've got one very long question uh, and then one shorter one, but they're basically uh, about audience sitcom, and I think we should quickly talk about audience sitcom. Well, again, you know, it's like, oh, audience sitcom is dead. Well, it depends yeah. on the idea. Yeah. Um, ITV are bringing out an audience sitcom. Apparently they've recorded the first episode. Okay. They're, they're, they're written by um, Guy uh, Jenkin and Andy Hamilton. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So, Drop their donkey. They, yeah. they know a thing or two. Yeah, they know what they're doing. Yeah. But Colin McQuaid, uh, he's asking, he says, I want further discussion of the idea of why now, when it comes to ideas for sitcom, not every sitcom has an obvious reason. Obviously, we wouldn't make Allo Allo now or, or Red Dwarf now. But also, the, the why now might be because this writer is very hot. Yeah. And they want, they want to be in business with them. And so they'll give them the benefit of the doubt on on that. And John John Rands, who's another uh, Patreon uh, member, he's written. He's asked a lot of questions about studio uh, sitcom, and uh, he's asked sort of various technical questions. But uh, I think just mentioning this because with the BBC Writers Room. Uh, uh, window opening and when we spoke to them a couple of years ago and we will ask them again about this but they did say we don't get enough audience sitcoms and we're very you know we like to yeah. see audience sitcoms so and it's a way of making your script stand out so what would you say james so maybe say three t things sort of technically that you think would make 
what makes an audience sitcom script mm. maybe that's different well, I guess it, it's you know things. it has to be tied to three or four sets yeah um, it has to be it needs to feel sort of play like really doesn't it and mm. therefore you need a really strong central idea and a world and some characters that are that feel like they are sort of trapped and sort of thrown together mm. um, so you know I think that 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 would be you know the the main the main things, and then it just needs laugh out loud funny jokes. Um, yeah. So the rhythm of the script has got a particular rhythm to it. I think. Would you say? Would you say sort of sitcom scripts are broader than sort of single camera scripts? Slightly. Yeah. But that. that, that, that I mean, the, 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 I'd love to live in a world where BBC Two made audience sitcom, but and they do. They they made Upstart Crow, but again. Yeah. That was a bit of an outlier, wasn't it? Yeah, that comes as a theatrical yes. uh, conceit. A, it, it began as a, as a Shakespeare anniversary and it was written by Ben Elton and it starred David Mitchell. So these are not normal circumstances. And I would hope that would trigger more studio sitcoms because the last one they did before that, I think, was probably Miranda. Well, and it might have been uh, that did the right. right way. Oh, the previous not BBC Two. Oh, was that not BBC yeah. Two? Okay. Um, so um, uh, the other thing that the writers room people say is, uh, we're not going to make your script, so don't worry. So the what? So, so coming back to Colin McQuaid's why, why now question, you can actually write something that is that is now. You can send in a, a script that is about that 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 that, it, that is almost as topical as the point that it yeah. goes in yeah. as long as it if it's a really strong script they won't mind they won't say oh but we can't make this because in two years time it'll be out of date yeah. if they see a talent yeah. are there uh then uh and and this is something that we discussed with john o'farrell i think wasn't it about the, the the why now you know where he said when he wrote uh his first book about labor things can only get better yeah he, he said he just he got very lucky with that it it came out yeah on the sort of wave of yeah sort of uh, the end and he was of the two era. weeks ahead of a Ben Elton idea. Yeah, ben Elton had exactly right. the same idea. Yeah. I think we should yeah. knock it on the head there and to say that if you want to listen to that interview, which is not available yet, you need to join us on Patreon. So uh, go to uh, the website. If you Google Sitcom Geeks Patreon, you will find it and you can join us and you can hear that whole hour-long plus interview uh, with John O'Farrell. You can also hear us talk to Anil Gupta and Richard Pinto and lots of first 10 pages episodes, sitcom soup to nuts, me and my audio book writing that sitcom and uh, lots of other things besides. Anything else, Dave? I think, I think that's it, really. We've, yep. uh, sorry if we've missed your question. We've tried to cover as many as possible there, but hopefully we, we've yep. co covered a lot of And uh, also, ask us questions on the sit oh, Sitcom Geeks Facebook page or on Twitter, and we might answer them there, yep. written, written down, or point you to episodes where we talk about them. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. Speak to you next time. Bye.